Turn to the book of Philippians, chapter 4. I know we're ready for chapter 3, and I'm not going to skip it. I'm going to uh, sum up this morning, because I can't spend all of November and December on Philippians. <laughs> so, I'm going to sum up this morning, Philippians chapter 3, in the sermon by reading you first and foremost Philippians chapter 4 verse 1 because Philippians chapter 4 verse 1 is a summary of Philippians chapter 3. And you'll see that this morning as we go through our message. But if you would, one more time, let's stand uh, just as our tradition to give reverence that this is not just any book that we're reading. This is the living and powerful Word of God. Philippians chapter 4, we'll read verse 1. As I always ask you, if you have a Bible, please read along with me as we study it this morning. If not, have your phone something. I want your eyes on it, if any way possible. Uh, set your eyes on it so that you can see it for yourself. Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. What's the first word? Therefore, some versions may say, so then. Some versions may say, wherefore. The, the, the point being, everything that, or what I'm fixing to tell you is in light of everything that I just told you. And we'll back up and see that this morning. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, here's the summary, stand firm thus, in the Lord, my beloved. You can be seated this morning. Father, we come to you one more time. Lord, before we go any further, we just pray that, um, Lord, the words that we sing this morning would become more of a reality in our lives. Father, I pray, God, that, um, Lord, when we sing songs like we sang this morning, Father, I just pray that... Um, Lord, they would open our eyes and our heart to, to appreciate and love your grace even more. Father, I pray this morning that, um, Lord, as we come to your word, Lord, that you would speak to us. Lord, I know that we're flesh, and Lord, our, our flesh don't even want this word. Father, our flesh fights against it. But Father, I pray this morning that you would give us um, wide open eyes as much as possible. Father, that um, we would be alert on the edge of our seats, listening to what you have to say to us this morning. Father, I pray that everyone here would recognize that, uh, Lord, I do not speak from my own opinion this morning. I speak solely and completely from your word. No, nothing else in it, Father. It's just your word. I pray, God, that you help us to interpret it correctly, and I pray that you would help us to apply it to our lives, that um, we are different when we leave here today. Father, I pray that you would forgive us of any selfish ambition that we have, of any conceit that we have. Father, I pray that you would give us a renewed spirit of self-forgetfulness. Father, that we would, um, we would walk loving others, loving you, and denying ourselves. Father, I pray, God, that you help us to be the kind of Christians that you have called us to be. Father, teach us from your word this morning. We we listen to you right now as you speak. We ask you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, 
One of the things that I want you to notice before, before I go any further or back up into chapter 3, I want you to notice that in chapter 4 verse 1, he says, he ends it by saying, Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Other versions actually put it like this. Stand firm this way in the Lord. No matter which way you want to read it, it means the same thing. The point that we get here is that the Apostle Paul is summing up everything that he's just said in chapter 3 by telling them, My brothers, after everything I've just said in chapter 3, this is the way that you stand firm in the Lord. Now we know from our previous messages in Philippians that Paul has been writing to them and his concern has been that they stand firm in the unity of the church. His concern is that they would would strive together side by side for the faith of the gospel. In other words, so that we reach the likeness of Christ. So that's a concern of Paul. His concern is that the way we're going to do this is by us living a life that is um, worthy of the call of the gospel, not just living any way we want to live. His concern was that we put away all selfish ambition, put away all conceit, and that we would humble ourselves by counting others as more significant than ourselves, right? Y'all remembering all this? All right? And so he, his whole letter has been about church, what you are doing together as you meet together and learn together, you are growing together. And you strive together and you stand in unity together and you do that by humbling yourself and counting the other brother and sister, sister as more significant than yourself. And all the way through this letter, he has dealt with this uh, time after time after time. He gave us the greatest example of the one who did this, Jesus Christ himself. And then he gives us the example of himself, Paul. He gives us the example of Timothy. He gives us the example of Epaphroditus. And so he gives us examples of what this looks like. But Paul also knows that there are many things in this life that tempt us to not stand firm in the Lord, but instead tempt us to kind of be half foot in the Lord and the other foot in the world. And the truth of the matter is, that's the way a lot of us do it. We like to... um, We like to have a church and go to church and be with the Lord, but we want a church that actually preaches to us what we want to hear. We we want to be able to follow God, but still be able to do whatever I want to do. I want to be able to follow God and be in Christ, but remain in my um, sexually immoral lifestyle. I want to be able to follow God and follow Christ, but continue to live in whatever sin it is that I refuse to put off. And so there is a temptation that we, we will not stand firm in the Lord, but instead we'll be wishy-washy, back and forth. One of the things that he addresses in, in Philippians chapter 3, since you're already in Philippians, back up to me. and um, Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 2, he tells them, Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. And here's what he's talking about if you were to keep on reading. 
There were false teachers that were coming in and they were teaching things that this is how you stay right with God and this is how you remain in the Lord by following the law and making sure that you're circumcised. And, and so Paul comes in and he says, Listen, be careful. Make sure that the teachers that you are listening to are teaching you the true gospel, the way of Jesus Christ. Look out for the dogs is what he called them. And so there is a temptation of false teachers. In verses 4 through 6, I want you to notice that he lets us know that there is um, worldly status. So there, the, Because we want power in this world. And we want to be at the top of the, uh, um, of the hierarchy or whatever you want to call it. Uh, the list in your workplace or whatever. We want to be the boss. We want to be the king. And so the worldly status and chasing after those worldly pursuits are things that cause us to not stand firm in the Lord. And Paul told us about that in verse 4. He says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And then here he goes listing out the things that he had already accomplished in this life, in this flesh, the pursuits that he had already chased and achieved. And then in verse 17 through 19, I want you to notice that um, many had fallen to these things and were not standing firm. Look what he says in 17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. So again, I pointed those few scriptures out in chapter 3 to help you see that when he gets to writing the first verse of chapter 4, which there were no chapters and verses when Paul wrote this letter, but when he writes chapter 4 verse 1, all he's doing is saying, guys, stand firm in the example that I just gave you because there's false teachers out there, there's people that are chasing their worldly pursuits and their statuses, there's people out there chasing fleshly desires, they're out there, there are many that walk the walk, but now they're enemies of the cross of Christ. And do you think when they came in here that they began as enemies? No, but the problem was they did not stand firm in the Lord. And so Paul comes in and he tells them, My brothers, whom I love so very much, my joy and my crown. I mean, think of the way that he talks to these guys. He says, I want you to stand firm in the Lord because many have not. So you stand firm in the Lord in this way. So the, answer, the question we're answering this morning is this. In what way are we to stand firm in the Lord? Now we could have made two months of messages out of this, but we're going to take it just one of, a few at a time and just go through it as, as much as we can. We may not get done with it, and that's okay. But the question we're answering, if you're taking notes, in what way are we to stand firm in the Lord? Philippians chapter 3 verse 1 here is the first way that you stand firm in the Lord. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it is safe for you. Here is the first thing 
that you must do if you're going to stand firm in the Lord. Do not grow weary of the Word of God. Do not grow weary of the Word of God. Now what I mean by that, look at what Paul said. He said, to write the same things to you is no trouble to me. What does he mean there? He said, I'm telling you the same thing over and over. The truth of the matter is, if you ain't figured it out by now by my preaching, all you have to do is see the the big picture of all the books that Paul wrote and you want to know what Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians and Thessalonians and Timothy, the truth of the matter is they all have the same message. Romans, they all say the same thing. Christianity, as far as what you have to learn, is really not that hard. Now applying it, that's a fight. But learning it is really not that hard. It's not that much to it. And so Paul says here, guys, listen, I know I write the same things to you over and over again. But it's not tedious, It's some of your versions say. It's no trouble for me to have to do that. I don't care. I don't mind to have to stand up here and preach to you the same things over and over and over again. And sometimes I actually fall into that temptation. I've been preaching y'all for a long time. I don't know if y'all know this or not. I've been preaching y'all for a long time. And the truth of the matter is sometimes I say to God, God, what else do I have to give? I mean, I feel like I've taught everything I know to teach. Sometimes I think I can't preach this sermon this Sunday because I've already talked to them about this ten times. And what God is telling me and what He tells me every time I do it is when I preach it the tenth time, y'all come to me and you know what you say? Man, that was awesome. I've never heard that before. (laughs) Thanks, guys. Appreciate that. No, but seriously, it's, and it's, not, it's, it's no trouble for me to preach the same things to you over and over again, but let me tell you, the truth is, it's safe for you, is what Paul said. In other words, it's a good thing for you to hear it over and over and over again, because let's be honest, we're probably not practicing it over and over and over again. And so it's good for you, it's safe for you to come in and hear the Word of God and be able to to know that this is something I need to hear over and over again. But let me tell you something. It's also easy for you to get in your routine and for you to go through your motions. And me too. When I'm preaching to you, I hope you understand, I'm including myself, okay? It's easy for us to just get in our routines and go through our motions and come in and just week after week listen to the Word of God and never really be changed. And so the Apostle Paul comes in and he says, Guys, I know I'm writing to you the same things over and over, but it's for your good. It's safe for you. And if you're going to stand firm in the Lord, it's going to be because you're being taught the Word of God over and over and over again. Because let me tell you something. If I preach it this way from Ephesians 
and then I turn around and I preach it a whole nother way from Philippians, you're going to be able to see something ain't right about this. And you're going to be able to recognize false teachers. You're going to be able to watch out for the dogs. And you're going to hear something and you're going to go, Now, wait a minute, preacher. I'm not so sure about that. And that's not a bad thing. The Bible actually, actually uh, commends that for us holding each other accountable. It commends that you understand that I am not always right. It's a good thing that you hear the Word of God over and over again. I want you to hold your place there and go to 2 Peter chapter 1 with me. A passage of Scripture you all should be very familiar with. 2 Peter chapter 1. If you're not familiar with where the location is, it's toward the end of the Bible. Right after Hebrews, James, 1st and 2nd Peter, and then 1st and 2nd and 3rd John. So it's right in the middle there. 2nd Peter chapter 1, I want to read verse 10 through 15 and listen to the way that Peter talked about it. He said, Therefore, brothers, be the more diligent, all the more diligent, to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So hold your place right there. We're going to finish it. Here's the point. What he just preached to you are these Christian qualities that you're supposed to be adding to your faith, your growth. He says, if you practice these things then you should be able to look at your life and confirm your call and confirm your election. In other words, you ought to be able to look at your life and see that you are growing in Christ. You ought to be able to look at your life and see that I am becoming a new creation, that I am becoming more like Him and less like me. I should be able to look at myself and know that I am a Christian because I see this being lived out. And so Peter says, listen guys, you can make your call an election sure because if you practice these things, then you'll never fall. In other words, as long as you see these things active in your life, then you can know that you're walking in genuine faith. And then he goes on in verse 12, and look what he says. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it is right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Now think about the way the Apostle Peter saw this. He said, I'm going to preach to you the same things over and over again, even though you know it and you're already established in it. And he says, and even when I'm dead and gone, I'm going to make sure that you still have a reminder of these things because if you practice these things and you see them at, at work in your life, then it is one way that you can confirm that yes, I am a true follower of Jesus Christ because I see Him at work in my life. But, and I'm not going to take you here, if you were to go back to the book of Hebrews chapter 6, 
the writer to the Hebrews actually has to tell them that he says, there's so much I want to teach you, but it's hard for you to get it because you have become dull of hearing. Now think about that for just a second. You have become dull of hearing. I have so much more I want to teach you. But it's difficult for you to understand it because you have become dull of hearing. The truth of the matter is, you don't come into church, and a lot of times we don't come in with our Bible in hand, literally saying, God, will you please speak to me this morning? God, I want to hear from you. You need to understand something this morning. When I'm talking to you from this word, the truth of the matter is, it's really not even me talking. You hear my voice. But what you're getting is just what the Lord has spoken. That's it. And so when you come into the church on any given Sunday or Wednesday or whenever it is and we open the word of God, you should be saying, I want to hear what God has to say. But the problem is we get dull of hearing. We get in this groove of uh, this is just what I do and I sit back and I, I catch a word here and there of what the preacher's saying, but I'm not really trying to take in what God wants to say to me this morning. And here's what God is saying. Don't grow weary of hearing the Word of God. Don't get dull of hearing. Don't let your mind drift off into other things and you're thinking about the, uh, the party you've got to go to tonight uh, or you, you think about the, the family get-together you're going to have or the beans that you left on or the whether or not we're going to get out before all of the Mexican buffet is gone, which we don't even have buffet anymore. Y'all ain't got to worry about that no way. All right? You're good. So we, we, we have to come in here with an attentive mind that we want to hear what God has to say. And so that's the first thing you do if you're going to stand firm. You cannot grow weary of hearing the Word of God. Do sometimes you hear the same things over and over again? Yes. I'm talking to some of you that have been listening to me preach for years and years. And sometimes you're going to hear the same things over and over again. It's no trouble for me. It's not tedious. And it is safe for you. And you can stand firm in the Lord if you keep listening to God and know that He's speaking to you and you respond to Him as He speaks to you. Number two. <clears throat> we'll come back and read uh, verses 2 through 12, but go to verse 13 with me to see where the point comes from. Number two way you stand firm in the Lord. Verse 13. Brothers... I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Here's the second way you stand firm in the Lord if you're taking notes. You forget what lies behind. You forget what lies behind. Now a lot of people have heard this preach that um, what he's talking about here is forgetting your sinfulness. Don't let your sinfulness drag you down. That is not what he's saying. Not at all. Not even close. And I'll prove it to you in just a minute. 
When he says forget what lies behind, he's talking about forget any worldly sacrifice that you have had to make in order to pursue Christ and follow Him. Let's back up and see what I'm talking about. Look with me at uh, verse 4. Or actually, we'll start in verse 2 of chapter 3. We'll read 2 verse 13. Look what he says. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship God by the Spirit and glory in, the, and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, <clears throat> if anyone else thinks that he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And here's Paul's list. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal for God, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Paul says there, whatever gain I had, I count as loss. Now you think about the gain he had. He had religious gain. Number one, he was circumcised on the eighth day. That was a big deal. That meant he was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Literally, from the day he was born, this guy's been a Hebrew, some people came in as Hebrews when they were adults. Paul said, I've been a Hebrew my whole life, circumcised on the eighth day according to the law of Moses. He says here that I was a, a Pharisee. Literally, I was the, the top of the ladder when it comes to the Jewish religion. He says here that, um, what else did he say? He said here that um, he was of the tribe of Benjamin. That was a big deal. The Benjamin tribe was the tribe that was probably the most honored, I guess you could say. The many leaders had come out of the tribe of Benjamin. It was a big deal. He was a persecutor of the church, but it showed his zeal for his religion. In other words, he believed and he was in his religion to such a degree that he was willing to murder and kill people that were against him. Now he's not bragging about that. He's just saying, that shows you what I had as far as a Jew goes. And then he goes on, he says, according to the law, for the most part, blameless. I kept it. Paul said, whatever the law said, I did it. But whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ as my Savior. He also goes on to say that he counts it as rubbish. You know what rubbish is? Trash. Garbage. In other words, true faith will always see Jesus as most valuable and it counts everything else as rubbish. There is nothing else in this life that deserves my pursuit. I forget all of what lies behind. And I pursue after Jesus Christ, my Lord. If you're taking notes, write this down. 
Salvation in Christ is a free gift that costs you everything. Let me say that again. Salvation in Christ is a free gift that costs you everything. But you pay it gladly. Let me give you a few examples of the way that Jesus talked about it. In um, um, Mark chapter, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 13, verse 44 through 45, Jesus explained what the kingdom of heaven was like. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who found a treasure in a field. So he's out in this field and he's working. And he finds this treasure. And when he finds it, for the joy of that treasure, he goes and you know what he does? Sells everything he owns so that he can buy that field and have that treasure. He said, that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. He went on to say that the kingdom of heaven is like a man that um, found this uh, precious pearl, this pearl of great price. And in order for him to be able to have this pearl, he goes and he sells everything so that he can buy that pearl, so that he can have that pearl. Here's the point that you see in this. Christianity and salvation in Christ is a free gift to be received by faith and faith alone. However... In that free gift of faith, it moves you to see that the treasure in that salvation is more valuable than anything else. And so you forsake everything else and you pursue that treasure with everything in you. You see so much value in Christ that you forget what lies behind. So now I'm not saying that you won't still go to work and that you won't still um, uh, get uh, promotions and, and climb the ladder. I'm not saying that. But the point is this. You're not doing that anymore for selfish ambition, for conceit. Everything you do now with your job, with your life, with your family, no matter what it is, you do it because you see the supreme value in what you're following and where you're trying to achieve and you forget all that stuff and your, mind, your focus is set on the goal. Man, I just want to be like Christ. I just want to glorify Christ. I just want to keep pursuing Christ. And that is the value that you see. So Paul says here, one thing I do, I forget the things that are behind me. Remember last week I was talking about Lot's wife? That was her problem. That is the root of her problem. That's how you know she wasn't saved. Because the truth of the matter is, she saw more value in what she was leaving behind than what God was bringing her into. That's why God said, don't look back. Because looking back is evidence that says, I still put so much value in this, and it's passing away. It's fading. It's not going to last, guys. I know we think we know this, but how many of you know we really don't know that? We still think this is where it's at. If you're going to stand firm in the Lord, it's no longer about you chasing worldly pursuits. It's no longer about you chasing worldly desires, fleshly desires. It's no longer about you going after the things of this world. Now again, does that mean that we don't still have houses and cars? No. The point is, 
Your life is focused on Him. He is my salvation. He is everything. And everything else I do revolves around Him. Yes, I go to work because I provide for my family. Yes, I love providing things that my family enjoys, that we enjoy to do together. I love those things. But I do those things because in Christ Jesus, I take care of my family. And that is the right thing to do. In Christ Jesus, I love my family. In Christ Jesus, I glorify my family. I, uh, everything I do revolves around this church and its ministry. Is it just because I'm the pastor? Ask anybody in here that knew me long before I was the pastor. Do I do what I do because I'm the pastor? Did this long before I was ever the pastor. Long before. Years before I was ever the pastor. I do what I do because I love the Lord Jesus Christ and there is nothing more valuable than Him and pursuing Him. But if you don't forget what lies behind, if you spend your whole Christian life going, yeah, I love Him, I love Him, but I gotta, I gotta. Oh, but I love Him, but I love Him. Yeah, but this over here. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I don't have to get into the details of it, right? You can examine your own life and you can see where those things lie. The question is, do you consider whatever gain you would have had or had in this world as rubbish compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior? If you do, then you can say, one thing I do... I forget what lies behind. You see how that context plays there? Ain't got nothing to do with Paul's sinful past. No, matter of fact, I give you evidence that he don't ever forget where he come from. He just told you, I persecuted the church. Every letter he writes, he says, Hey guys, let me tell you where I come from. By the grace of God, I am who I am. By nothing else. I did this and I did this. No, I'm going to be honest with you. The truth of the matter is, it's a good thing for you to remember who you were. It's a good thing for you to remember where you were before Christ, separated from God. Because all that does is magnifies the grace of God in your life. Or it should. It should show you just how great His grace is. And you ought to see yourself, just like Paul, as the chiefest of sinners. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. Because look what he did for the chiefest of sinners. So forget those things which lie behind. That's the reason why. Let's finish reading it in verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth. Did y'all catch that? Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. Now think about this. Y'all remember the rich young ruler? You know why he couldn't be saved? Was it, was it because he, he didn't sell everything he owned? Is that why he couldn't be saved? No. The reason why he couldn't be saved is because he saw more value in the things of this world than he did in the surpassing worth and knowledge of Jesus Christ and who he was. He still couldn't see that all this is fading away. 
What good is all those man's riches? The Bible says that when Jesus told him, sell everything you have and give to the poor, then you'll have treasure in heaven. And the Bible says the man turned and walked away sorrowful because he had many possessions. What good is that stuff going to do when that man's laying on his deathbed? What good does any of that stuff do whenever he's watching his all, all of his world fade away before his eyes? Nothing. He'd give every bit of it to change it, wouldn't he? That's the reason Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but what? Forget what lies behind. Press forward to what lies ahead. He says here, For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ Jesus. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. So here again, Paul's just saying very plainly, salvation is by faith alone. It's a free gift, but it'll cost you everything. And the reason it costs you everything is because you gladly, you gladly give everything. You're like that man that found the treasure in the field. And for the joy of that treasure... You go back and you don't pursue none of that stuff anymore. You give it all up just so you can have the field. So you can have the treasure. If you're going to stand firm in the Lord, you can't stand with one foot in Christ and one foot in the world. You're going to have to forget what lies behind and see more value in the surpassing knowledge of Jesus Christ you're going to have to see Him for the treasure that He is. And if you can't see Him for the treasure that He is, you're going, to continue, you're going to continue to pursue the world. But if you see Him as more valuable, you'll give everything. You'll count it all loss. You'll count it all as rubbish for the surpassing value of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Verse 10, That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I what? I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forget those things which lie behind and strain forward to what lies ahead. Here is the next thing that you're going to do if you're going to stand firm in the Lord. You're going to strain forward and you're going to press on toward the goal. So let me just put it to you like this. The goal is knowing Christ, right? Paul said, I count it all lost so that I may gain Christ, so that I may know Christ, so that I may attain to the power of His resurrection, so that I may be like Him in His death. In other words, here's what he's saying. I strain to die to myself daily. I strain forward. You know, when he, when he uses this word strain, what he has in mind here is a picture of a racer that's running a race. And as he's running this race, you know how racers do when there's a line of them that's close together at the finish line? They run with their chest stretched out as far as they can, right? 
and they're straining with everything because if they can just beat the other runner by that much, all they've got to do is put forth enough strain that they can get through the finish line first. And here's what Paul, the imagery that he's trying to use here is that he strains forward. This is the way that he's chasing after Christ. He's going after Christ with everything in him. He's straining and he's pressing on. That word pressing on means to aggressively chase. And so with everything in Paul, he says, I forget what lies behind and I see so much value in the treasure that that's what my life is focused on. The goal. And the goal is I'm pursuing Christ's likeness. Can I be honest with you today? For the majority of us in here, that's not our goal, is it? I mean, listen, I'm not trying to make you feel less than. I'm just I'm being honest with you. For the majority of us in here, your life is not about, man, I want to hear from God so I can be more like Him. I want to chase the treasure. I want to be, I want to um, extend myself and I want to strain forward and I want to press on. No, that's not, that's not the majority of us. The majority of us is, man, I got too much going on in the world. And listen, we can't fix it if we don't admit the problem, right? We, but if we'll at least admit the problem, then we can walk out of here today saying, here's what I heard from God. And here's what I have to do to repent and fix the problem. And the problem is, I'm not forgetting what lies behind. I'm not straining forward and pressing on toward the goal. And because of that, I'm not standing firm in the Lord. Y'all see that? And so the question you have to ask is, are you forgetting what lies behind, first and foremost? And are you seeing so much value in the treasure? Because let's just face it, this is, this, this is whether or not you really believe or not. If you don't believe Jesus is the greatest treasure, if you don't believe that He is the answer to everything that's wrong in the world today, then the truth is you don't believe. You're not there yet. You're not a believer. But if you see Him for who He is and you believe it, you'll go and sell everything you have and you'll give everything to buy the field to have the treasure. So you have to examine yourself and see if that's the case. If not, you're not standing firm in the Lord. Look at verse 15. Or let's start in verse 14. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Here's what you see. This is maturity. You want to know if you're mature in the faith? This is it. If you see this in your life, you can say, yes, I'm, I'm actually maturing in the faith. And if you think otherwise, God will reveal it to you. God will reveal it to you. But maturity looks like that. But keep reading with me. Verse 16. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. If you're not there yet, don't quit. I'm not telling you to just give up and stop. Hold true to what you have attained. But don't stop maturing. You need to be pressing toward the fact that I'm remembering Lot's wife. I know where that leads. I know the result of that. I want the treasure. 
I want the treasure. And if you keep that in your mind and you hold true to what you have attained, you'll mature in your faith and you'll stand firm in the Lord. The last thing, we'll close on this. Verse 20 and 21, look what he says. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Here's the last thing, the last way you stand firm in the Lord if you're taking notes. You set your minds on your country. You set your minds on your country. This world is not your home. This world is not your country. No, you seek a better country because this world's passing away. This country ain't going to last. You seek a heavenly country. He says here, our citizenship is in heaven and we wait a sa- we await a savior from it. Our citizenship is in heaven, not on this earth. And if you will focus your mind on the fact that this world is not my home, it will change everything in the way that you pursue Christ. It will change everything in the way that you live your life out in this world. It will change everything about the hobbies you choose. It will change everything about the people you run with. It will change everything about the way you feel about coming to church. It will change everything about the way you feel about being in the family of God's people. It changes everything when your mind is set on this world is not my home, my country, and my citizenship is in heaven. And if you can do that, you will stand firm in the Lord. Read verse chapter 4, verse 1 one more time as we close. Therefore, my brothers, again, this is the summary of chapter 3. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm this way in the Lord, my beloved. Remember Lot's wife. You're not going to stand with one foot in Christ and one foot in the Lord and stand firm in Him. You're either pursuing the treasure or you're pursuing the world. You either see more value in the treasure of Christ or more value in the world that's passing away. But this morning I would ask you just one simple question. Are you standing firm in the Lord? Or are you still holding on to what lies behind and not pressing on and straining forward to the goal and to what lies ahead? If that is you this morning, the Word of God is speaking to you and He's saying you still have time to humble yourself before Him, to ask Him to forgive you, and you still have time to turn it around today and say, Christ... I want to see you as the most valuable thing. I want to see everything else in this world as rubbish compared to who you are and to what you give us through your shed blood. I pray that if that's not you this morning, that before you leave you would hear the word of God and you can walk out of here standing firm in the Lord. But that's up to you. That's between you and Him.